Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You can go ahead and find a seat. And if you have a Bible today, you can go ahead and grab it. And uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Judges. Judges chapter number 7 is where we're going to be. And this is week number 4 in a series that we started a few weeks ago that we're calling Battle Ready. And that we're learning how to get ready for the battles of life. And we're studying the life of an Old Testament judge named Gideon. And uh, so far, we've been three weeks in the series, and Gideon has not seen battle yet. And that's because he's getting battle ready. And uh, the Lord is preparing him and training him. And uh, I, I believe that uh, there are going to be some principles this morning that can be very helpful and beneficial for us. Last week, we talked about the ram's horn and the fleece. How many of you were here last week as we talked about the ram's horn and the fleece? We talked about that struggle, that tension between our faith and our fear, our confidence and our confusion. And uh, if you were here last week, I want to encourage you uh, to, to check out that message. And I'll be praying that it'll be an encouragement to you. And this week, we're going to be in Judges chapter number 7. And I want to bring a message today that I'm calling Strength by Subtraction. Strength by Subtraction. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, are you ready? Look to your other neighbor and say, how about you? All right. We had about 50% participation. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Let's do this. As we read Judges chapter 7, let's do this. I know it's been a little up and down today, but let's stand together for the reading of God's word today. Judges chapter number 7. If you're ready to get into God's word, would you say amen? Amen. Judges chapter 7, the Bible says this in verse number 1. Then Jerubbaal, which is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early, and they pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were uh, on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. Everybody say, too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from the Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Everybody say, too many. God is saying, too many people. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them. I will prove them uh, for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee. The same shall not go. So he brought down the people into the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bowed down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, 
And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for the songs that we've already sung this morning and the truths that were uh, reflected and proclaimed. God, thank you that you are faithful and that you are good. Through every season of life, God, we want to proclaim and acknowledge your goodness, your faithfulness, your, your mercy, and your long-suffering towards us. God, we just want to praise you and thank you for that this morning. God, thank you for uh, the time that we had just reflecting on on how we can be involved in missions. And God, I pray that that would be something that continues on in our hearts. God, I pray that we wouldn't just leave this place today and, and never think about missions again and not think about missions until next year. God, I pray that we would uh, have a heart that continually and weekly and daily has a heart to reach people um, here in Fontana and also around the world. And God, I pray that today as we study your word, I pray that if there's anyone here that's going through a season of loss or a season of subtraction, God, I pray that that this message can be an encouragement to them. God, I pray that you would use me and fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say that could be helpful and beneficial for us all. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in advance and illuminate this text for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and find a seat this morning. Several weeks ago, Katie was gone. She was out of the house, and I was watching our three children, and I was trying to come up with some fun things to do with our kids, and so I decided uh, to take them to Menchie's Frozen Yogurt. How many of you have been to Menchie's Frozen Yogurt? And uh, man, we got some Menchie's fans in the house today, and uh, so we went to Menchie's with the kids, and if you've never been there, they have all different kinds of flavors and all different kinds of toppings. You can kind of just pile it all on there, and, and uh, Luke and Liv, they were kind of on their own. They were picking out what flavors they wanted, but I was kind of helping Blakely, my youngest daughter. And uh, Blakely was a little confused uh, as to how it all worked. And instead of getting just kind of like one flavor or two flavors of frozen yogurt, she just thought that she was supposed to get them all. And so I was kind of walking through with her and she was asking for every single flavor, even the gross flavor. She was like, no, I want that one. I was like, are you sure you want pistachio? And she was like, yeah, I want pistachio. And, and uh, she was saying, I want pineapple and chocolate and strawberry. And so I just kept on saying, okay, you know, your mom's out of town, so okay. And uh, I was just putting it all on there. And uh, Blakely wanted it all. And then uh, we went to the topping area. And uh, I was asking Blakely, what do you want on your frozen yogurt? What do you, what do you want to top all these, this concoction with? And here's some marshmallows. And I started putting on some marshmallows. And then Blakely just kept on looking at me every Every time and she would just say more and so I took more and I put some more marshmallows on there and then I put some strawberries on there and she said more and so I was like all right you know I put some strawberries on there and then we got some gummy worms and she said more and so I put some more on there and uh, by the time we were done she had this giant just this giant bowl of frozen yogurt and I didn't know at the time that they uh charge you by weight. And so I went over there, and I think we paid about $19 for one, one bowl of frozen yogurt. And uh, Blakely just kept on saying, more, more, I, I just want some more. And I thought about that, and I thought, the truth is, sometimes in life, we kind of have just this the more the merrier mindset when it comes to blessings and things in life. Like, like we would readily acknowledge that we have enough, but a little bit more would be nice, right? Like, like we have enough, but a little bit more money in your bank account, like that, that would be nice. And, and maybe a few more friendships, maybe some more opportunities, maybe some more freedom in your life, maybe some, uh, some more uh, opportunities that, that God would give you. We love it when we have those additions in life, but sometimes God not only works and not only blesses us through addition, but sometimes he blesses us through subtraction. 
Sometimes in God's economy, it's not the more the merrier, it's less is more. We come to Judges chapter number 7, and Gideon is finally getting ready for the battle. He has 32,000 troops at his side, and and, uh, they're getting ready for war. And so they're sharpening their swords, and they're eating their pre-war meal, and they're getting in the zone. They're getting ready uh, for war. And then you know the story. God does something unusual. He comes to Gideon, and he says, "Uh, Gideon, you have too many people. Now, that would have been a surprising, surprising thing for Gideon to hear because the Midian army, they had around 135,000 soldiers, the Bible tells us, and Gideon only had 32,000 soldiers. And so Gideon was thinking, God, I don't know if you're paying attention, but uh, what we need is more soldiers, not less. And so Gideon would have been a little bit confused, but God is saying, no, um, I want you to have, have less. And so sometimes we learn that God will bless us. God will lead us through seasons of subtraction. And this is difficult and frustrating for us to understand because it makes sense when God blesses us through addition. Even in the context of our church, like we want uh, our church corporately, we want uh, our church to grow. And we love those passages in the book of Acts that says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as, as should be saved. We love those passages that say, and the word of the Lord grew and multiplied and, and God was adding to his church and God was growing to his church. But we can't forget those passages in Acts like Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira sinned before the Lord, and they lied to the Holy Ghost. And so God removed them from the church to purify the church. And so sometimes God will, God will subtract something in order to bring purity, in order to bring clarity. Sometimes God will actually give us strength through subtraction. This is what Job said in Job chapter 1, verse number 21. And Job said, Naked uh, came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave... And the Lord hath taken away. And so God is the God of addition, but God is also the God of subtraction. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And see, sometimes God will prepare us by purging us, by pruning us, by by leading us through a season of subtraction. John 15, verse number 2 puts it this way. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. He purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Everybody say more fruit. And so God always has a purpose for the pruning in your life. God always has a purpose for the purging in your life. And so every trial, every disappointment, every heartache, everything in your life that doesn't quite make sense when God is pruning us, when he is purging us, when he is subtracting from us, there's always a purpose, and that can always lead to more fruit. God God can use a storm. He can use a difficulty to stabilize us, to strengthen us, to uh, develop us for his glory. 1 Peter 5 puts it this way. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye had suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And so God can use those seasons of subtraction and use those seasons of storm to actually bring about some stability in our lives. And so every time that person in your life that you thought was going to be with you till the end, and when they leave you and it's confusing... Every time you look at your bank account and there's a shortage and you think, man, how how am I supposed to uh, give to the Lord? How am I supposed to give to missions? I can barely pay what I'm doing right now. And every time something uh, happens where there's a shortage, we have to understand that God works through subtraction. And we will never be battle ready. We will never be ready for the battles in life if we don't learn this principle of of subtraction. So what I want to do this morning as we break apart these verses and as we unpack these verses this morning, I, I believe that there are four principles about divine subtraction. Uh, Four principles about divine subtraction. If you're ready this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Number one, God operates in a way that best gives him glory. God operates in a way that best gives him glory. Would you notice verse number one in our text today? 
says this, then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon. Now, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, uh, Gideon, when he took a step of faith, he was given this new name, Jerubbaal. And what that name meant was that he was the enemy of Baal. And I love that because everywhere Gideon went now, he's recognized, he's remembered as the enemy of Baal. That name uh, symbolically referenced the fact that, uh, that Baal was futile, but that God is faithful. And so everyone recognized his name as one who worshiped the one true Lord, Yahweh. By the way, when people hear your name, what do they think? When people hear your name and when they, when they hear about your testimony, what comes to mind? Because here, uh, Gideon now has this name that everyone just knew. Man, uh, this person is all about worshiping the one true God. He is against Baal. So then uh, Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and they pitched beside the well of Herod uh, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them uh, by the hill of Morah in the valley. Now, now the, the enemy, the Midianites who were oppressing Israel, they were gathering together. They were getting ready to attack. They were getting ready to steal and to plummet all of that. Uh, uh, harvest uh, that they were getting ready to harvest and so they were going to steal all that food getting ready to attack and uh, notice what it says in verse number two it says this and the lord said unto gideon the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the midianites into their hands and so uh, this would have been something again that was frustrating for gideon you know why would god say that we have too many people uh, why would god say that we have too many we have thirty-two thousand soldiers they have 135,000. Uh, th- this this math doesn't make sense why would god do this well he answers that question in the same verse For me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, and saying, mine own hand hath saved me. And so God says, the reason that you have too many, Gideon, is because I want to make sure that everybody knows who is responsible for the victory. I want to make sure that there's not even any doubt uh, that that you could falsely claim uh, uh, ownership for this victory. I want to make sure that everybody knows that the glory belongs to me. See, God always operates in a way that best gives him glory. And so I don't even want to give a chance for your uh, pride to start puffing up. See, our our propensity for pride uh, is more dangerous sometimes than we realize. Because we will take the first, the tiniest opportunity to take credit for something, we'll do it. Did you see that? I did that. I did that. Did you see that? Oh, that looks good. Yeah, yeah, it's because I did it. Any chance that we get, we'll take that opportunity. But I want to remind you that all the glory in life belongs to the Lord. So God says, I'm going to do this, Gideon, so that everybody can know and recognize who is responsible. I don't want there to be any doubt in anyone's mind who brought this victory. God always operates in a way that best gives him glory. C.S. Lewis, he said this, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least nothing, whatever can be done before it. Uh, If you think that you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. And so C.S. Lewis says, hey, the first step towards humility is to recognize that you're proud. And our propensity towards pride is is great. Uh, I was reading a book this week. I was reading a book this week on an airplane about about one of the world's greatest athletes uh, right now that's still alive today. And he was talking about a lot of his accomplishments. And he's not a Christian man, uh, but he was talking about uh, everything that he was able to do in his career and everything that he accomplished and all of his success. And, and I was reading this. He, he, he kept on uh, saying certain phrases that, that popped out to me. And he kept on uh, acknowledging certain things that I, that I wrote down. He said things like this. It wasn't because God blessed me. 
it had nothing to do with God or the devil. It wasn't because of anything uh, but my own willpower, my hard work, and my determination. And see, this, this athlete said, you know what? God had nothing to do with my success. My success was all contingent and dependent upon how great I worked and how hard I worked. And it was because I was determined and I put in the hours and I sacrificed and I did all of this. And see what was happening, what's happening here in Judges chapter 7. Mine own hand hath saved me. I did this, but I want to remind you today what the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse number 17. Every good gift, every good gift, everybody say every. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Hey, anything good in your life is because God is good. And anything that we've been able to do is because God has enabled us and God has empowered us to do those things. See, see, God is the owner of it all. God is sovereign over it all and he uses us for his his glory and don't think for one second it's because we're so great no God chooses to use us in spite of us it's when we are weak that he is strong it's when we are weak that God's power can resonate in our lives and so we can either be self-sufficient or we can be God dependent but we can't be both and God wants to move us away from self-sufficiency. And so he says, I'm going to lessen this army. I'm going to subtract from this army. So everyone has to know God did this. By the way, I, I want God to do such a great work in Fontana, California, that when people outside looking in, they have to conclude, man, God was working in their midst. And God was doing a miracle there in Fontana. I, I don't want them to say, oh, it's because they had a good system, or it's because they were really friendly, or there was a good preaching, or there was good worship. No, I want them to say, man, God had to do something there. And God was powerful in their midst. Hey, God. God gets all the glory from everything that's said and done in our church. There's an interesting phrase in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 15. It says this, and he made a move, uh, and he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men, skillful men, to be on uh, the towers and upon the, the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones with all. This is describing a scene from uh, the king in the Old Testament named Uzziah. It says this, and his name spread far abroad. So everyone started hearing about this man, this King Uzziah. He had all of this success. And then notice what the Bible says. For he was marvelously helped until he was strong. He was marvelously helped. God was doing the miraculous in his midst until he became strong. And then when he was strong, the next verse says this, verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Once he became strong enough, that led to his downfall. Can I tell you today, don't let your skill lead to your downfall. Don't let your talent be your Achilles heel. Don't let the thing that you're good at lead to your destruction. Say, you know what? Hey, hey, God has blessed me with some abilities and God has blessed me with these things, but he gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. He's enabled me to do these things. And I want to make sure that his name is lifted up, not my own. Hey, I, I want to be marvelous, marvelously helped from the Lord. I want God to do the miraculous in our midst, but I don't want to be too strong for God to use me. See, you will never be too small for God to use you, but you can be too big. And so God is teaching Israel, and he's teaching Gideon, hey, uh, I'm going to do this in such a special way that everyone has to conclude that God did this, and God uh, gets the glory from it all. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly, with the humble, is wisdom. Uh, I was reading a book uh, by author John Dixon, and uh, the book was called Humilitas, and he talks about how humility is kind of a uh, a virtue that we've forgotten about or that we struggle with often. And uh, he was uh, uh, referencing how in the ancient world, humility was not something that people would strive for. It's not even something that was expected for you to have. In the ancient world, they cared uh, far more about 
honor than humility. And so it was more about your pride and what you've accomplished. And he cites this reference from the uh, first Roman emperor, Augustus. And Augustus did this whole work uh, called the divine, uh, the accomplishments of the divine Augustus. And uh, in, this, in this work, he lists 35 of his key accomplishments. And he's kind of just talking about himself the whole time. And uh, I, I didn't bring them all, but I brought one. Just, this is the first one. He says, at the age of 19, on my own responsibility, at my own expense, I raised an army uh, with which I successfully championed the liberty of the republic when it was oppressed by the tyranny of a faction. And so he was, he, and he went on to list 34 more things. He said, I did this, and I built this army, and I conquered this, and I did this, and uh, he just went on to list all of his accomplishments. And now, now, that was common in the ancient world. That kind of self-congratulating was just kind of normal. And that's why when Jesus came, he changed everything and turned the whole culture upside down because he started to say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they, they will inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said, love your enemies. And so Jesus flipped the script, and he started demonstrating uh, this kind of humility. Philippians 2.8 says this, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so what I want us to see, first of all, this morning is sometimes God will lead us in a season of, of subtraction so that we will give him the glory that he deserves and that we will learn humility along the way. And this leads us to our second principle this morning, number two. A life of faith is not for the weak in heart. A life of faith is not for the weak in heart. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. Notice verse number three. It says this, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And so uh, uh, Gideon says, hey, whoever's afraid, if you're getting ready to go into battle right now with these 32,000 people and you're scared, and uh, you're a little bit nervous about the fight, you can go ahead and just go home. And uh, you can go home right now. And so uh, Gideon makes that announcement. And then what happens next, it says this, and the return of the people, 20 and 2,000. And there remained 10,000. And I'm sure Gideon was thinking, man, I thought some of you guys were going to be scared, but 22,000? Are you kidding me? Like, like all of you guys are afraid? And so he has 22,000 people. They're like, as for me and my house, we will go home. And so they just, they just, they just leave. They, they go back home. Now, the law made provision for this in Deuteronomy. And so it wasn't even that they were sinning. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse number 8. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint, uh, as well as his heart. And so it's not even that they were living in sin, but they were living in fear. Because the law said that they could do this. And so now we have all, all of these men that are afraid, and, and uh, uh, they're, they're getting ready to go back home into their comfort zones. The Bible um, one author, W.W. Uh, w. Duncan, uh, he says this, Too many professed followers of Christ are ready enough to cast in their lot so long as there is no immediate appearance uh, uh, of suffering or sacrifice for his name's sake. But who, the moment that the real danger stares them in the face, they take the earliest opportunity of slinking away and renouncing the principles to which they formally, in words, adhered. So at the first moment of, man, this is getting a little bit tougher than I thought, they want to quit. They want to throw in the towel. They want to head back home. And we learn a couple things about fear through this passage. One, uh, fear is very contagious. Uh, when you get around someone that's afraid, it's going to cause you to be afraid. It's going to cause you to doubt what you're doing. Uh, a couple of months ago, our family, we went to a water park. 
And uh, there were some really big slides that I was trying to get uh, my kids to go on. I was trying to get Liv and Luke to go down these big slides. And uh, they were a little bit too afraid to go. But I finally convinced my son Luke uh, to go on uh, the tallest slide that they had. And so we're walking over there. And then my daughter Liv, uh, she decided, okay, if Luke can do it, then I can do it too. And so uh, we were both walking up to the slide. And we got about halfway up the stairs. And my daughter Liv, she got scared. She started crying. And uh, she was like, I don't want to do it anymore. And as soon as Luke, my son, saw her crying, he was like, I'm out. I don't want to do it if Liv's not doing it. And so, so we walked all the way back down there. And the only way that I could get them to go down the slides is when I took Luke first by himself, and then uh, Liv saw that, oh, everything was okay, and so then she went down the slide as well. But when they saw each other afraid, that, that fear was contagious. Imagine 22,000 people being afraid. That's going to spread fear around the camp pretty quickly. Those 10,000 courageous men, make no mistake about it, they would have started, man, I wonder if we should go back. Man, I don't know about this. And, and, and so fear is contagious. And when we allow fear to dictate our plans in life, when we allow fear to dictate what we're going to do for God, that's always going to influence the people around us. And so this fear was contagious. But, but I want you to know this morning that fear can be conquered. Fear can be conquered. Because sometimes we think about courage and we think about boldness we think about having strong faith, and we think, man, I don't know if I'm capable of that. I don't know if I have that kind of confidence and courage. I worry a lot, and I, I have anxiety. I don't know if I have that kind, of, that kind of boldness and that kind of courage. But I want to just remind you, a little flashback to when we first started this series, because when we first started this series, when we first met Gideon, remember, where was Gideon? He was in the wine press. Well, what was he doing in the wine press? He was hiding from the enemy, because at the beginning of the story, Gideon was afraid too. See, but there was a difference. Gideon didn't let his fear keep him from the fight. See, I'm not saying today that you have to leave and say, I, I never experienced fear. I'm not afraid of anything. No, but we can't let our fear paralyze our progress. We can't let the fear keep us from the battle. See, a lot of times we let fear keep us from doing what God wants us to do. We say, man, I really need to invite my neighbor to church, but it's going to be awkward if I do that. And so we let fear keep us from having that conversation. Man, maybe I should give money towards missions, and maybe I should give my resources towards the local church, but, man, if I do that, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I'm going to have enough for, for my own bill, so I just won't do it. And we let fear keep us from doing what God wants us to do. A lot of times people say, man, I'm really struggling right now. That's why I haven't been in church, because I don't really want people to know what I'm going through. And we let that fear of what people might think keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Sometimes we're so afraid of conflict, we're so afraid of confrontation that, that, that we never go to someone, we never apologize, we never bring anything up, and so we're just living in captivity, we're living in fear. But Gideon said, you know what, I, I might be a little bit afraid, but I'm not going to go home, I'm not going to throw in the towel, I'm going to keep on doing what God wants me to do. And so we see in Judges chapter 6 and verse number 10 that Gideon was hiding, but here we see that there was a little bit more confidence. In Romans chapter 8 verse number 15 it says this, says this, for we have not received uh, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so we have this, this great access to God, this unbelievable access to God. We come to him as a loving father. We don't need the spirit of fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. The Bible says this in Psalm 56, verse number three, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And so I just want to encourage you today. Some 
sometimes the calling of God on your life is scary. And sometimes the assignment is heavy. And sometimes we're going to be tempted to retreat and to go back home. But I believe today that with God's calling comes God's enabling. And I believe that the Holy Spirit can empower you and embolden you to have the confidence to say, hey, I'm not going back. I'm not going to give up on the fight. Hey, I'm not throwing in the towel. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And so I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. Whatever God has called me to, that's what I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to stand faithful and I'm going to move forward, trusting him every step of the way. See, Gideon, he had fear, but he didn't let his fear keep him from the fight. I want to encourage you today. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say, man, I don't know if I can do that and just give up before the opportunity even arrives. 22,000 people left without even seeing, without even knowing what God could do. Gideon's left with 10,000 people. And I wonder if Gideon was a little bit afraid, but I wonder if he was still a little bit confident because if you study the history of judges, there was another judge named Barack, not to be confused with Barack Obama. And it says in Judges chapter 4, verse number 6, and she sent and called unto Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee, watch this, 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali? And so what happens in Judges chapter number 4 is God gives Israel this great victory through the judge Barak through 10,000 people. And I wonder if Gideon referenced that a little bit. I know if I was there, I'd have been like, guys, I know we only have 10,000, but God did it for Barak. And if he did it for Barak, he can do it for us too. And I wonder if he used that as a little bit of motivation. Like, like hey, God did it before. He used 10,000 people to bring a great victory. He can do it again. But then God subtracts even more as we continue on. Notice the third principle. Number three, God honors those who remain on guard. God honors those who remain on guard. Notice verse number four in our text. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. And Gideon's like, are you kidding me? I just gave him the whole Barak speech. I just pumped him up with 10,000. And now you're going to tell me that that's still too many? God, they have 135,000. Now we only have 10,000, but we have too many? What do you mean? God's still subtracting. He's still getting Gideon to trust. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. Now, I want you to notice those words, try them, because what happens next, sometimes people have different opinions, and, and uh, they want to talk about the significance of what uh, happens next. But I think it's important to know that God was testing them. He was trying them. That's what that means. He says, I'm going to prove them. I'm going to test those soldiers, those, those 10,000 soldiers that you still have. We're going to test them uh, in these following verses. Notice verse number, uh, 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 next part of verse number four. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. And so God basically says, all right, I'm going to tell you who's going to stay and who's going to go. And this is how we're going to do it. Verse number five. So we brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone, so now he's about to break, break the 10,000 into two groups. Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. And so the first category was people that would kind of go down, and I don't know why they would want to do this, but they went down to the, to the river, and uh, they went down to the water, and they got all the way down, they put their whole face in the water, and they just started drinking all the water, uh, lapping like a dog. That, that, that's what they did. They were, they were so uh, consumed with their thirst, and they're like, man, I'm so thirsty that they just put their whole head in. Uh, they were that thirsty. But then there was a second group. 
Likewise, everyone that bowed down upon his knees to drink. Uh, so there's two groups here. The, the first group that would just go put their whole face in the water. And then he says there's going to be a second group that comes down, and they're going to get down on their knees, and they're going to scoop that water with their, with their hands. They're going to scoop the water into their hands, and they're going to they're drink it that way. And I believe that that's significant because those that put their whole face in the water uh, and getting all down and lap like a dog, the Bible says, those people couldn't remain on guard against the enemy. But the people that went down on their knees and they scooped the water up, they could still look, they could still observe. And hey, the Midianites are still attacking. They're gathering down that valley and we need to make sure that we're ready. We need to make sure that we're prepared. And so what was happening is when they leaned down and when they were scooping the water, they were still vigilant. They were still alert. And I just want to tell you today that God honors those who remain on guard. And I know that life can be busy and that our schedules can get hectic and we're busy doing all kinds of things. But God honors that person that says, hey, I'm doing a lot. I'm thirsty. I'm trying to take care of myself, but I'm still remaining on guard. I still have got my eyes up. I'm still going to protect my heart. I'm still going to protect my home. I'm still going to protect my family. I'm still going to be vigilant because the adversary is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so I'm going to remain on guard through this season. And so there was two groups of people and God says, hey, hey, split them up. Uh, split up the ones that went down uh, and lapped water like a dog and those ones that, that would pay attention and that those ones that were alert. Now, all throughout scripture, uh, the Bible challenges us and, and tells us to remain on guard. The Bible says this uh, in regards to our temptation uh, in Matthew chapter 26 verse number 41 he says watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak and so Jesus says hey watch and pray watch be alert you're tempted to quit you're tempted with lust you're tempted to lie you're tempted to cheat you're tempted to do these things watch remain on guard watch and pray that's what Jesus says in regards to the second coming of Jesus Christ we're told this in Mark chapter 13 verse 32 but of that day and hour uh, knoweth no man we don't know uh, uh, when this is going to happen not the angels which are in heaven neither the son but the father take ye heed watch and pray for you know not when the time is and so when it comes to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ we have to watch and pray we have to remain on guard we have to be ready uh, we don't want to be surprised when Jesus comes back we want to be busy doing the work of the Lord when it comes to uh, our enemy when it comes to the battle Peter says this be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour and so all throughout scripture we are commanded we are instructed to remain on guard uh, this past week I saw an app uh, for uh, our cell phones that I thought was interesting, and the app is called Clutch SOS. And uh, the purpose of this app, they want to use it on college campuses and different places, and what it does is, is if you feel like you're in a dangerous situation or kind of a sketchy area and you're a little bit worried about what's going to happen, you can press a button on your phone, and it'll send a live audio feed to all of your closest friends and family. And so if you feel like, man, you're in trouble, uh, you, can, you can just press that button, Clutch SOS, and, uh, and that, that feed will be sent out. But what caught my attention was the slogan, uh, for the app. This was, their, this was their subtitle. This was their slogan. It says, uh, Clutch SOS is a security system for self. A security system for self. And I thought about that, and I thought that is exactly what every follower of Jesus needs to install in their own spirit, in their own life. A security system in our minds, in our hearts, that remains on guard with the content that we allow in, with the content that we consume, with the entertainment that we allow in our households. Hey, I believe that parents have the liberty to say, no, we're not going to watch that in this household. And no, we're not going to go there uh, in this household. I'm going to remain on guard. I'm going to protect what God has called me uh, to uh, protect. And so uh, we need to install that security system and says, I'm not going to let that content in because the content that you consume will eventually be the content that you create. And the content that you create will really determine and define your character and your destiny. And so we learn here that 
that these men were remaining on guard. Now notice verse number six. And the number of them that laughed, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300. Everybody say 300. 300. And so now they started with 32,000. Now they have 300. Still against 135,000. The odds were not ever in their favor. 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees uh, to drink water. And so God says, I'm going to use these 300 men. I'm going to use these, these few men. Uh, I, love, I love this verse in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 6. Jonathan was getting ready to go to war, and his, his armor bearer, his, his armor bearer that was with him, he says this, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised, these Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Watch this. For there is no restraint to the Lord. We, we could just stop right there. I just love that phrase. There is no restraint to the Lord. Hey, God can do anything. Uh, God is all-powerful. He is omniscient. There is nothing too hard uh, for the Lord, the prophet Jeremiah said. So there is no restraint with the Lord. God can work in whatever capacity he chooses. But I love what he says next. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by a few. Never underestimate what God can do with a few. Never underestimate what God can do with just a few people that are sold out for him. Hey, hey, God can use two people. He can use three people. He can use 12 people to turn the world upside down. The 12 disciples went out and changed the world as we know it. Hey, never underestimate what God can do with a few. That's why I love our men's prayer meetings on Saturday morning. It's not our largest small group. It's a small, it's literally a small group. We have a few guys that gather together and we start praying and we start asking God to do the miraculous in our midst and we start praying and asking God to fill us and to use us and I believe that God God can do a lot with just a little bit of faith and with a little bit of prayer. God can change hearts. He can change lives. He can change communities. Hey, never underestimate what God can do with a few people in this room. We can turn this community upside down. Hey, we can see people saved and lives changed and marriages restored. Hey, God can do the miraculous in our midst and he just needs a few willing people. Never underestimate what God can do with a few. Yeah, he could have won the battle with 32,000. He could have won the battle with 10,000. He could win the battle with no one if he so chooses. But God uh, says, I'm going to use a few people that are ready, that are remaining on guard to accomplish my purpose in their lives. This leads us to our last principle today about divine subtraction. If you have one more with you, would you say amen? amen? Number four, God's plan is accompanied with God's provision. God's plan is accompanied with God's provision. God will undoubtedly equip you in your assignment, and he's going to give you a few things to help along the way. And I want to give you two things that I see in this passage that God provides for Gideon, and I believe he provides the same things for us as well. The first thing that I see that God provides is reassurance. Everybody say reassurance. Reassurance. Sometimes a little bit of reassurance is nice in life. A little bit of assurance, a little bit of affirmation. Okay, I'm on the right track. A little bit of that reassurance. Notice what God says in verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand? God says, Gideon, I know I've already told you this. I know I've already communicated this truth, but I want to remind you. I want to give you a little bit of reassurance. I will save you. I will deliver you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Hey, you don't have to go to this battle in fear because you can trust that I'm going to see you through it. And he gives him this reassurance. Uh, In our backyard, we have a basketball hoop. 
and uh, uh, my, my kids love to play in this basketball hoop, but my daughter Liv, she's not quite strong enough to get it all the way up to the hoop every time, and so she gets really discouraged, and she gets really hard on herself, and she'll throw the ball up, and she'll miss, and then what she does is she'll kind of pout for a second. She'll kind of put her shoulders down, and she'll put her head down saying, I can't do it, and she'll get so frustrated, and I said, Liv, you are not allowed to say that. Do not say that you can't do it. You can do it. I said, give her the ball. Try again. Come on, you can do it, and she'll miss again, and I'll say, all right, here we go, and she'll miss again. I'm like, all right, come on, make one, Liv, and I'm like, here you go. You can do it. I'm like, every, come on, come on, Liv, you can do this. Try again. Try again. I'm here with you. Hey, don't give up. You can do it. And as you read the word of God, that is exactly what God does for us. He says, hey, I'm with you every step of the way. You can do this. Here's the power of the Holy Spirit. He can enable you. He can power you. He can empower you to do the impossible. Hey, you can do it. I'm with you. Here's the reassurance that you need. God is with us every step of the way. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so when we are discouraged, when we are filled with doubt, and when we're filled with fear, we're wondering about the next step and the battle that lies before us. Hey, what we need to do is we need to go to God's word and find some of those promises and give ourselves that reassurance that God gives us in his word. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 1, 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. I love the Bible. Uh, the Bible uses a lot of great adjectives. I love that Peter doesn't just say, hey, God's given to us promises. That would be true. I love that he doesn't just say God has given us exceeding promises. He doesn't just say that God has given us exceeding great promises. He says that God has given us exceeding great and precious promises. Hey, the word of God is filled with his promises. And in Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. That means you can take it to the bank. If God said it, you can trust it. And I want to encourage you when you are going through a season of fear, when the battle is storming, when the battle is raging, hey, you can go to God's word and you can find that reassurance that you need. So God gives Gideon reassurance, but then he gives him one more thing. Let's stand together as I share this last thought. And I want to encourage you in the stillness of this moment to lean into what the word of God says next. Verse eight. So the people took victuals. That means provision. That means food, supplies. The people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets. And I find this interesting. Not only does God give Gideon reassurance, I will save you. I will deliver you. But then he gives Gideon resources. But it's not the resources that Gideon would have wanted or expected. You're getting ready with 300 men, 300 warriors to go to battle against 135,000. It would have been nice if God gave him like some bows and arrows maybe some bigger swords. Here's a trumpet. Here's a ram's horn that we saw last week. This is what we're supposed to use. Can I tell you today, God knows exactly what you need. Because it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't the resources that they wanted. They would have wanted bows and arrows and, and shields and swords and spears. God said, here's a ram's horn. But as you read on in the following chapter and the rest of this chapter, the way that God delivered victory over the Midianites, spoiler alert, they used the trumpets. They used the ram's horns. God knows exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. God knows exactly how much is in your checking account. He knows exactly how much you have to pay for property taxes. He knows that next test that's coming up. He knows that coworker that just bugs you to death. He knows everything about you. He knows everything that you need. He knows exactly when he need it. And I just want to tell you, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. He says, here's what you need. Here's some resources. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always, having all sufficiency. Everybody say all. all. Having 
all the sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he owns it all. He's not up in heaven saying, man, I wish I had more to give them. He wants us to trust him. And when God places a ram's horn in your hands, don't look at him and say, why, God? Say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'd like maybe a little bit more money, God, and I'd like maybe a new house. And God, what I need is a new car, but what you gave me is a new opportunity to serve in the parking team. God, I don't know if that's what, what I was supposed to do, but God, I'll, I'll trust you through this. I'll serve and I'll be faithful and I'll do what you want me to do. And God will provide for us. He is a God of provision every step of the way. He says, here's reassurance. Now here's some resources. Take the victuals. Take the ram's horns. At the end of the day, Gideon... His whole life could be characterized by learning faith. That's what this is all about, right? 300 men. I have to trust God. I have to have faith. That's what it boils down to. That's why in Hebrews chapter 11, I'll read the verse in just a moment, but Gideon is in what Christians call the hall of faith. It's because he was trusting God. That's what the whole Bible is about. Faith. Who do you trust in? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You don't know if you have a home in heaven. What boils down to who or what are you putting your trust in? Say, I'm not trusting anything. Well, if you're trusting yourself, that's the wrong thing to be trusting in. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. See, it's not about what we can do, and it's not about never being afraid, and it's not about uh, reading your Bible every day and trying to be the best person that you can possibly be and being really kind. No, it's about trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's all about faith. And if you've never placed your faith completely, entirely, solely in the person of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you. You can do that today, and today could be the day of salvation for you. You can walk out of these doors in the back knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a real home in heaven, not based on what you can do and based on what you did, but based on what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, dying in our place, paying for our sins so that we can know him and have a home in heaven forever. But it's by faith. Do you trust him? The Bible says this last verse I want to read. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> describing these men and women from the Old Testament that had great faith. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail to tell me of Gideon and of Barak with those 10,000. And of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel. And of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms. Wrought righteousness. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. Quench the violence of the fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Gideon. Out of weakness were made, we were made strong. Wax valiant in fight. Turned to flight the armies and aliens. And so God says, man, I can do the miraculous with just a little bit of faith. Do you trust me? And so here's the, here's the question for us today. Here's the question. Are you down to your 300 yet? Are you down to your 300? Or... If God was out of the picture, would your life look the same? If God was out of the picture, would your schedule look the same? Would your daily life be normal? Or are you at a place where you're down to your 300, where you are living on total dependency on God? God, I can't do this without you. God, I can't make it another day without I need you in my job. I need you in my family. I, I, I need you in my life. Are you down to your 300? Because there is strength in subtraction if we trust God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. 
If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.